Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everyone. This is Carmen. And Christina. And this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history. Sometimes it's horrible and deals with heavy topics like racism, corruption, and genocide. But more than that, it's um, also about resistance, power, and community. Yes, and um, I feel like my episode today is like a mix of all of those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, first, though, I want to welcome new listeners. We have a good amount of new listeners. So um, hi, everyone. Welcome. Hi. We appreciate every listen. And uh, we hope that you feel like we're great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. We hope that you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, probably. That's probably what I was going to say. <laughs> Not that we're great. <laughs> we're OK. <No. laughs> I mean, we're fine. No. <laughs> anyway, we're cool. Yes we are i'm done now <laughs> yeah yeah anyway today <laughs> i don't did we ever i know that on novelas con cafecito our other podcast we have together and on a spooky tales my podcast which carmen is sometimes on uh we have said that you are my twin but if anyone discovered historias unknown without listening to the other two do they know oh, we're twins i thought we, we did mention it, it. <laughs> i don't remember Anyway, um, any new listeners, if you're listening for the first time, we are twins. And yes, our voices sound the same. And it's confusing sometimes. Yeah, sometimes I listen <laughs> and I don't know who the fuck said what. So I'm like, good luck to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a Christina episode and Carmen has no idea what my topic is about. Can I tell you when you told me the mm-hmm. name or whatever? Um, Gaspar Yanga. That is the topic today. It sounds like a cult. No, this is... Okay. This is not anywhere near that. Near that. Well, you're gonna tell yeah, me right now. Gaspar anyway. Yanga oh, okay. is a person, and uh, February is Black History Month. Oh, why am I saying oh like I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yes, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Black History in Mexico. Okay. Yeah. So usually when we discuss uh, slavery uh, in the Americas, the focus is on the United States. Uh, rarely do we hear about Latin America in these talks, unless you're looking for it, like us. <laughs> yeah. But these countries were also involved, also guilty. Uh, in fact, in Mexico, uh, Veracruz specifically, which I think I have mentioned, mm-hmm. um, but because it's a coastal state, it was vital to slave trade in Mexico. Usually um, when we hear slavery and Mexico, everyone is so quick to mention that they abolished slavery before the United States and formerly enslaved people escaped into Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people think that that is how Veracruz was 
had such a high black population. Uh, but in reality, it's not because all of them escaped from the United States. It's because they were enslaved and imported into or trafficked into Veracruz itself. Mm-hmm. Um, Mexico had a flourishing slave trade. Um so during the years 1519 to 1605, um, at least 120,000 enslaved were trafficked into Mexico. Uh, the reason for this, uh, New Spain, that's what they called Mexico. Yeah. They needed these enslaved people to fill the labor industries that they created because their current pool of employment, quote unquote employment, the indigenous people had decreased in numbers. Mm-hmm. And of course, it feels disgusting talking about people like this because oh, people yeah. are not like objects a commodity. Or, yeah. Um, but due to European disease, European, European, <laughs> <laughs> I accidentally say European like that all the fucking oh time. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. Due to European <laughs> diseases, wars, ecological changes, and of course, genocide. The indigenous population in, you know, what we refer to as Mexico decreased in large numbers before 1519. I mean, there was only indigenous people right before this time. But in 1519, there was approximately 25 million indigenous peoples in central Mexico. And by 1605, it was half of that. And that's not a lot of time Mm -mm. at all. But because of, you know, the genocide and doings of the spanish um they no longer had people to enslave themselves or force into uh cheap labor right Mm -hmm. and we've talked about forced wage labor on indigenous people um that's where repartimiento that we talked about on episode one this is where it grew from uh so forced um forced wage labor which is still essentially enslaving someone yeah um so that's how they were trying to fill these these uh, the need for for workers. But the colonizers then were like, we can use enslaved uh, Africans to fill this wage gap. Because, you know, previously, these industries were things that they brought. Mining, sugar processing, clothing production. These were not things that existed before. So they needed people to fill these positions. And bam, the slave trade industry in Mexico flourished. And because Veracruz was a port, is a port city, it received a large influx of enslaved Africans. Many stayed there to work in sugar plantations and cattle ranches. And I say work in quotation marks. To be forced <laughs> to work? Yes, yes, that's better. Uh, and of course, many were trafficked into other areas like Mexico City. Mexico City also has a large population of uh, Black uh, Mexicans because of the history of enslaved people mm. being trafficked into that area to work in the mines. Did not know that. Yeah. And of course, with all this oppression, there was always uprisings and revolts, right? The growing the growing rebellions were worrying to the Spanish and, you know, word was getting back to the Spanish crown about what was happening. And um, like this following little excerpt was a letter sent to the Spanish crown by a viceroy, which I freak, I didn't write down the term. I've heard that word before. So a ruler exercising authority in a colony on behalf of a sovereign. Sovereign. It's just a sovereign. Okay. So like colonizer royalty. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Ex- exactly. 
so a viceroy wrote about a rebellion that was growing in Mexico City uh, the following. Uh, and this was written on December 10th, 1537. And he uh, informed the Spanish crown of a plot intended to free the slave population of a young colony on the 24th of the month of November past. So November 1537. I was warned that the Negroes had chosen a king and, ha and had agreed amongst themselves to kill all the Spaniards and rise up to take the land and that the Indians were also with them. And to that, I was like, yes, yes, bitch. Get it. <laughs> Get those Spaniards. <laughs> but um, the Spanish, they feared these revolts, uh, obviously. And so they instated like very, very harsh rules. Mm. Like if an, if an enslaved person had been missing for more than like four days, they received 100 lashes, eight days, 200 lashes. Uh, they placed curfews for black enslaved peoples in many of these places. And, you know, punishments for breaking those curfews were very harsh. Um, there was also, I mean, I think you're familiar with it, and maybe we'll do a separate episode on the caste system that oh, was yeah. in place in Mexico, because that's a whole nother discussion. But yeah, people, enslaved uh, Africans could marry indigenous people and their children would be free. And so they preferred to marry indigenous people instead of other uh, African women um, because their children would be free. And I think this just goes, it's like deeply rooted to be... Um, I mean, it's all part of, you know, yes. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, if their children were going to be free, why would they want to marry an African woman? You know? Yeah. I And I don't know. When I read that, I just thought about like all the people that are like, oh, I prefer a white woman. I prefer it's my preference. Like it just uh, this is just like a side. Comment oh, on that. yeah. Yeah. That's where my mind went. Preferences are hardly ever only just personal preferences. Sorry, can't talk. They're hardly ever personal preferences. They're always like, you know, informed by society. Something. Yeah. And, you know, the... And, you know, it's different to have a preference. Like, I prefer someone who likes to hike and play video games rather than... I prefer someone who is white with green eyes only. Um, Yeah. <laughs> like, that's weird and has very <sighs> mm, racist vibes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. So I just that just came to mind when I read that because it goes, it's deeply, you know, rooted in ingrained, engraved. Yeah. Oh, ingrained? ingrained. What is the word? Yeah, probably. I, I feel know. like it's ingrained, not ingrained. engraved. But maybe I think you're right. Uh, no, you're whatever. Right. I think you're right. Um. Uh. So yeah, and that was all part of the caste system. It was made this way, just like mm -hmm. mestizos were made mm -hmm. this way. But again, a whole nother topic. Mm -hmm. So we'll do we'll tackle that another day. <laughs> Back to this. Um, these harsh rules, of course, didn't stop uprisings. And there's one successful uprising, which I'm going to be talking about today. That was all just background information. And this uprising occurred in El Pico de Orizaba, Veracruz, a.k.a. Citlatepet. Oh, my God. I'm like, why does that name sound familiar? That's why. <laughs> Yes, I wrote in my notes, side note, this is the same region that we talked about mm -hmm. in the dog episode where Sitla, the dog, lived. Yes, yes, it is. So around 1540, one enslaved African man escaped into the mountains, in, uh, into the Pico de Orizaba in Veracruz. And he stayed there welcoming other formerly enslaved Africans. And they formed 
what we know today is Yanga, and this man's name uh, was Gaspar Yanga. Well, he's known today as Gaspar Yanga. In documents, sometimes it's spelled Nyanga with the Enye in oh, front of it. So that is our, hard. <laughs> yeah, our Spanish challenge, friends. That's the N with the squiggly line on top of it that it is impossible to pronounce. If Nyanga, you, right? Yes. Weird. Yeah. Weird. It's hard. It's hard. And so I think just... Yeah, I think just over time it, it, it became Yanga, which is easier yeah. <laughs> to say. Um, and so he was reported to have been born in 1549 in either Angola or Gabon uh, in Southern Africa. And he would have been a king there uh, instead of living the life he was supposed to live as a king. Uh, he was enslaved on the Nuestra Señora de Concepción sugar plantation, um, Our Lady of Conception. The plantation and this was just 90 miles from veracruz so he escaped 90 miles into the mountains and after several years hundreds of free formerly enslaved africans joined gaspar yanga and their uh, community it became what is known as a palenque which is a small town and uh, they called it yanga and they called themselves yanguicos mm-hmm. Yeah, and they harvested their own foods, things like sweet potatoes, sugarcane, tobacco, beans, chi- uh, chile, squash, corn. They raised livestock. They were they were a thriving community that worked together. They also raided Spanish caravans that were passing by the area. I love it. <laughs> uh, but the existence of Yanga threatened the colonial status quo. And the road to Mexico City and Veracruz, the road in between, Mm -hmm. it became very dangerous for Spanish travelers. Uh, So the Spanish appointed a man named Captain Pedro Gonzalo de Herrera to lead a force through the area. And he had an army of about 100 men paid for by the Spanish crown and then 100 indigenous men. Unclear if he paid them or not Mm. (laughs) or forced them into it. Not sure about that. Who knows? Uh, Who knows? Yeah, we can guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh despite their best efforts, the raids continued and uh the Yanguicos had taken a man from Herrera's army. <laughs> uh this man was Padre Juan and everything I'm going to say after this is an it comes from accounts from Padre Juan. But the following is d- a direct quote in a letter he wrote to Herrera. So This Yanga was a Negro of the Bron Nation, of whom it is said that if they had not captured him, he would have been a king in his own land. He had been the first Maroon, and they refer to um, Africans as Maroon. When you read papers, it says Maroon, like everywhere. Yeah. He had been the first Maroon to flee his master and for 30 years had gone free in the mountains. And he has united others who held him as chief, who are called Yanguicos. And um, Padre Juan also uh, noted that in Yanga, the work was split up evenly. Half the population worked to um, farm and harvest and, you know, just work together on like, you know, the at the town sort of stuff Mm -hmm. to keep the town running. The other half made up the guerrilla forces that raided uh, the Spanish and captured him. (laughs) Teamwork, Uh, love it. Yeah, right. Love to see it. When Yanga introduced himself to Padre Juan, he told Padre Juan, do not fear Spaniard, for you have seen my face, and so you cannot die. Uh, Yanga then ordered Padre Juan to write a letter to Herrera in which Yanga dared the Spaniards to defeat him. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, come at me. Try me, Fucking bitch. dare you. <laughs> and in this letter, he made Padre Juan include the exact location of the Palenque. Wow. Yes. And so after sending the letter, Yanga sent a small portion of his army to raid a nearby sugar mill and prepare for the Spanish. While his men were doing this, they saw Herrera's army approaching. More like they saw each other. They like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so. Um, you know what that made me think of from the uh-huh. Umbrella Academy when Five is driving and then he sees. What's the character? Oh, when he sees uh, Victor? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember either name. Or is names. he with Victor? No, no. They're in separate cars. Then they join. Okay, because, they see each other. Yeah, they're driving past yeah. each other. Then they look at each other and they're like, what the? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly like that, you could say. <laughs> they uh, they spotted each other, basically. And so the Yanguicos retreated back to the Palenque, but Herrera and his men did not pursue them. Instead, they set up camp at that exact spot where they spotted spotted them and then Herrera sent out a team of scouts two separate teams and they encountered a field with crops and of course they destroyed it um, because they were trying to weaken their enemies and and because they're assholes yeah because they always do shit like this Herrera also sent out his nephew um, with a dog for scouting missions. And this dog had sniffed out some Yanguicos that were hiding in a bush, ready to ambush them. And so this is where the first battle began. Both sides saw injuries, but the Yanguicos retreated further into the mountains and the Spanish did not pursue them. The Spanish tried to advance closer to the Palenque, and this was done with like tremendous difficulties because the Yanguicos, they had the terrain to their advantage. They set up barricades that were big and sturdy and successful. So they had a hard time getting past this. They finally reached Yanga, the Palenque, and then no one was there. Of course, they were the Yanguicos were ready, like they mm-hmm. were prepared for this. So they found no one there. But they decided to establish their camp here at the former Palenque. So while they were staying there at their camp, they received another letter from Yanga. <laughs> like, <laughs> he knew they were there already. And he, in this letter, he refused to make peace with the Spanish. I mean, you can't. Like, there's no way. Mm-mm. Herrera tried to raise a white flag to call for like a truce and Yanga and the Yanguicos were not interested. They were like, no, no, <laughs> we bitch. don't accept your uh, defeat. <laughs> we don't accept your surrender. The Spanish attempted to advance. This was slow and difficult as Herrera and his troops were closing in on some Yanguicos that were left to guard. Like they were left a little behind. As soon as the Yanguicos spotted them, they climbed into the mountains further into the mountains, and then a rain of arrows hit the Spanish, and another battle began. Both sides saw casualties. Again, Herrera called for a truce, and Yanga refused. (laughs) Wow. What a boss move. The Yanguicos retreated further into their mountains, because these are their mountains now, by the way. (laughs) Herrera was unable to find them, and they returned to the Palenque. And this is where Padre Juan's accounts of Yanga and the Yanguicos end. But another Spanish man who was part of all this, his name was Perez de Riva. He reported that Herrera and Yanga eventually did come to an agreement. There was a bunch of little more battles like mm-hmm. 
in which the Spanish were just unsuccessful. Um, in which they just lost so, over and over and over, and over again. How yes. do you feel to be a loser, Spain? <laughs> I love it because, like, who doesn't love to see this, you know? Right, yeah. Finally, they lose. <laughs> So they came to an agreement and this is not a surrender of the Yanguicos. If anything, it's closer to like the Spanish just giving up and and finally having to agree to the terms of the Yanguicos because they were unable to conquer and defeat them. They couldn't. Um, so the terms that the Spanish viceroy agreed to, uh, and these were terms proposed by Yanga, are as follows. All of his people who had fled before September of the past year, so September 1608, were to be freed. And he did promise that all of those that escaped after him, after the date, would be returned to their enslavers. Um, his Palenque would be a free town with its own cabildo. I don't know why I didn't look up what the fuck that meant. Cabildo? I'm assuming like, yeah, cabildo. Oh, yeah, it was like a Spanish, um, basically Spanish government that was like a liaison basically between oh, them okay. and the Spanish uh, no other Spanish could live in their palenque. <laughs> they could only enter the town on market days. He also asked to be government governor of this town. And he also asked for a church, for the Spanish to build a church there. Because, I mean, they were, I guess you could say Catholic? they were indoctrinated. Oh. Yeah, yeah. All, I mean, the Spanish were yeah. really hard to convert right yeah. so they did ask for a church and and uh the the crown was going to pay for this and uh in return they would re in in return for this the yanguicos and yanga they would return any escaped enslaved people um and aid in any wars hmm. it'd be nice i don't know if they did I and mean, it'd be nice to know if like they really didn't like i, I don't know no escaped enslaved people have come by here yeah that would be nice. Haven't seen them. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know. There's no like records um, that I could find. I'm sure there's some somewhere. So after this, the they uh, established the town of San Lorenzo de los Negros. That's what they called it, the Spanish. Oh. And um, this was established close to the old Palenque uh, of Yanga. And it is unclear how long the town flourished, uh, but there were records of an Italian man visiting in 1698, so 90 years later after this oh, wow. treaty. And he writes that it, it, is a, it was a successful and flourishing town at that time. And then I did find another uh, source that said, according to records of the time, the treaty remained intact until 1821 when the Spanish gained independence. So the the town was still a town when in the 1821. Oh, sorry, when Mexico gained okay, independence. Okay, I was like, that from sounds the wrong. <laughs> no wonder, no wonder you made that face. And then um, after uh, 1932, the town was officially named Yanga instead of San Lorenzo de los Negros. That's a better name. Which became San Lorenzo. Yeah, Yanga is the proper name. Mm. After 1976, Yanga began holding a yearly festival to celebrate its status as the first free pueblo in the Americas. It's called Festival of Negritude or Primer Pueblo Libre de las Americas. Better name in Spanish for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Today, you can find a statue in Yanga of Gaspar Yanga. It's big. It's like in the middle of the city. Uh, center like the mm -hmm. like a plaza type thing or what yeah um, yeah yeah like downtown i guess is el centro so it reads and i'm gonna read it in spanish first and then english negro africano precursor de 
la libertad de los negros esclavos, fundó este pueblo de San Lorenzo de Cerral Cerralvo, hoy Yanga. Por acordado de virrey de Nueva España, don Rodrigo Osorio Márquez, y saying hi. <laughs> Sorry, my child is here now. Okay, you know what? I'm just going to read the English translation. Wow, African Black Bocha. Liberator. No, I, the rest of it is names. It doesn't oh, matter. okay. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the Spanish part. The main part. African Black Liberator and precursor of the Black Slaves who founded the town of San Lorenzo, now Yanga, by agreement of the Viceroy of New Spain on the third day of October, 1631. And then it's just names after that, really. Uh, yes, that was the uh, history of Gaspar Yanga. Well, that was amazing. But yeah, that is our episode today. And I knew a little bit of just like the slave trade in or the trade of enslaved people in uh, Mexico. But I didn't know about Gaspar Yanga either before I saw a Twitter thread about him. Yeah, I knew a little bit about it and about Veracruz. But yeah, this is my first time learning about Gaspar Yanga and very cool. This was a story of like, like they won, you know, so it's nice. Yeah. Okay, if you want to send us off, and then I'll just say bye at the end so that my children are not screaming. All right. Thank you, everyone, <laughs> for listening. Um, if you are enjoying us so far, please leave us a five-star rating and recommend us to your history-loving friends. Well, specifically, though, Latin, like American, like, you know, history having to do with... Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, U.S. Latinx people and just latino america in general or latina yes. america in general i should say mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um yeah and consider leaving us a five-star rating if you want <laughs> i did say that oh i forgot <laughs> <laughs> anyway thanks for listening bye, bye everyone <laughs>